Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. It's very easy to neglect weeds that grow up in our marriage, but no weed is more destructive than the weed of sexual immorality. Nothing robs us of what God plans for our marriage more than adultery. And that's why Jesus addresses the topic head on in the Sermon on the Mount. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. You know, one of the leading causes for divorce is infidelity. It's nearly impossible to regain trust after a mate has carelessly thrown it away. So how can we avoid losing any more marriages to this tragic end? Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress teaches that maintaining moral purity starts with preparing the mind. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. Remember when you were a young adult learning about moral purity? The prevailing question from young couples seemed to revolve around boundaries. How far is too far? Well, today on Pathway to Victory, our study about sexual purity will continue in a moment. It's based on the teaching Jesus gave us in his famous Sermon on the Mount. Before we get started, I want to remind you that I've written a best-selling book on Jesus' sermon. It's called 18 Minutes with Jesus, Straight Talk from the Savior About the Things That Matter Most. And in my book, I go into much greater detail on today's topic and nine other subjects that Jesus addressed. Subjects like managing your money, establishing healthy relationships, and finding genuine happiness. In conjunction with my book, I ask our creative team to help me produce a study guide as well. You might have a copy of my book, but it's doubtful you own the study guide as well. Both my book, 18 Minutes with Jesus, and the study guide are yours when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. Now, it's time to get started with today's message. If you're driving around in a car right now and have little people traveling with you, you may prefer to listen to this program later at ptv.org. We're talking about a sensitive topic. I titled today's message, Straight Talk About Your Sex Life. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, I say to you, verse 28, that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The point of verse 28 is very simple. Whatever is immoral in the bed is immoral in your head as well. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Well, that brings up an interesting question. Pastor, what if my mate is guilty of adultery in the bed with somebody else? Or what if they haven't done that yet, but they're certainly guilty of adultery in the head? They've got a porn addiction. They're continually lusting after other people. Should I get a divorce? Is that grounds for divorce? Well, that's why Jesus followed his teaching on sexual immorality with a radical call to marital fidelity. It's not just purity we seek, in our moral life, but it's fidelity in our marriage. Look at how he addresses this issue head on in verses 31 to 32. Again, using that same formula, you've heard it said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. 
But I say to you, here's the higher standard, that everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, I want to point out a couple of things about this verse before we get into what it's actually saying. First of all, there is nothing more distressing than an unhappy marriage relationship. My purpose in this message is not to condemn you or to pile a load of guilt upon you. If you've divorced for other than the two biblical reasons we're going to look at in a moment, God's word to you is you can be forgiven and be the best husband or wife you can possibly be from this point on. The second thing I would say was, what we're looking at in Matthew 5, 31 and 32 doesn't represent the whole of what Jesus taught about marriage. In fact, to get a fuller explanation of what Jesus taught about marriage, hold your place here and turn to Matthew chapter 19. Look at verse 3 of Matthew 19. The Pharisees came to Jesus testing him, saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? They were trying to trap him. Jesus was smart. <laughs> he knew how to handle the question. And I want you to notice in his answer three contrasts between himself and the Pharisees. First of all, the Pharisees focused on divorce, but Jesus focused on marriage. Look at verse 4. And he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. He was quoting from Genesis 1, 27. He said, marriage begins with an understanding that God made people male and female. That's a clear word for us today. God is the one who makes us male and female. But that was so basic, that's really not what Jesus is talking about. Obviously, he made people male and female. The point here is both of those words are singular. It's not males and females. He created one man and one woman, Adam and Eve. There were no spares in the Garden of Eden. If Adam couldn't work it out with Eve, he could spend the rest of his life with a hippopotamus, but that was the only choice that he had. They either got along or they had to live separately. God made them male and female. Then he goes on and says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That's a quotation of Genesis 2:24. And Jesus adds, so when people are married and God joins them together, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. God is the one who joins people together in marriage, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually. They are two. They are joined together. That Greek word kaleo is a word that refers to a strong adhesion between two people. I've told you this before, but every time I read this verse, I think about a time years ago, I went to the drugstore to pick up uh, some um, pictures that I had left to be developed from our family vacation. Remember film and cameras and all of that when you did that? Well, you're always so excited to go to the drugstore and after a couple of days pick up your pictures. And so I picked them up wanting to look at them and there was that little gluey substance that was used to seal the packets and you would open the packet and some of that glue would still be there. Well, I opened the packet and some of that glue had actually 
crept into uh, the package itself, and it had caused two pictures to stick together front to front. So I had to decide, how do I separate these pictures without destroying them? I didn't. I tried. I tried to pull them apart, but when I did, I tore the faces off of both pictures as well. And I thought, that's a great picture, so to speak, of why God hates divorce. God hates divorce, Malachi says. He doesn't hate divorced people. He hates the process of divorce. Because divorce not only destroys a relationship, it destroys the two individuals within that relationship when you pull them apart. And that's why Jesus said what God has joined together, what God has stuck together with a gorilla glue kind of adhesive, Have you ever thought you were stuck with your mate? Well, you're not stuck with your mate, but you're stuck to your mate. God has joined you together. And because he has done that, no man should separate what God has joined together. Now, is that always the case? There are some narrow exceptions, and that leads to a second contrast. The Pharisees saw a command, but Jesus saw a concession. Look at verse 7. They were ready for Jesus answer. They said to him, okay, if that's true, Jesus, if God wants people to stay married, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? What about Deuteronomy 24, the indecency? Why did God or Moses command husbands to divorce their wives? God never commanded it. Moses never commanded it. Read Deuteronomy 24. He didn't say, you must divorce your wife. You must give her a certificate of divorce. No, verse 8 says, he said to them, it was because of your hardness of heart that Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it has not been that way. Hardness of heart caused Moses to regulate this certificate of divorce. He didn't invent it, and it was certainly never God's will. God's will is for two people to remain marriage. But there are some concessions, and Jesus admitted there's some concessions today as well for the one man with one woman for a lifetime rule. And that leads to a third contrast. The Pharisees were flippant about marriage, but Jesus was serious. The Pharisees, can we divorce for any reason at all? Jesus said no. But Jesus did give one exception. He says in verse 9, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for the case of immorality, adultery, and marries another, commits adultery. He's talking about the case of one partner in the marriage being guilty of adultery. Now, there's no command to divorce your mate if they're guilty of adultery, but there is an allowance for it. And Jesus uh, gave one, but Paul also gave one. And because we believe all scriptures inspired by God, not just the red letters, it all comes from God. What the apostle Paul said was just as authoritative as what Jesus Christ said. And Paul added a situation that became prevalent in the church at the beginning of the church age. And that was what happens if two people who aren't Christians get married, and then after they are converted, um, one person in the marriage wants to leave the marriage. What if a Christian is married to a non-Christian and the non-Christian says, I want out of this marriage if you don't stop all this Christianity stuff? 1 Corinthians seven fifteen: if the unbelieving mate leaves, let him leave. 
The brother or sister is not under bondage in such a case. That marriage bond no longer applies if that other mate leaves. Now, some people say, well, that's dealing with an unbelieving mate. My mate who wants to leave is a Christian. Are you sure? Are you sure? You can't know for sure. You can't know for sure about anybody. I can't know about you. You can't know about me. But one thing you can know, if somebody abandons a marriage, they are acting like a non-Christian. And I believe on the basis of God's Word, if a Christian is deserted by a mate, God gives them the permission to remarry. Those are the two concessions that Jesus and Paul offer for divorce and remarriage. Let me be very clear here. I feel a responsibility to say this anytime we talk about this subject. If you are right now in a physically abusive marriage, if you are being hurt, if your children are being threatened, you need to get out of that house as quickly as you can. God does not call you to live in that kind of abusive relationship. So, the issue of divorce, the issue of remarriage is something that the Bible doesn't address in that situation, you have to ask the Lord for guidance and His wisdom in that. But the two stated reasons in the Scripture for divorce and remarriage are adultery and desertion. And that leads to a question. Then how can we prevent adultery in the head that leads to adultery in the bed and the destruction of our marriage? Go back to verses 29 to 30, where Jesus gives us a radical remedy for infidelity that destroys marriages. Look at verse 29. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Remember, in Jesus' days, there were no anesthetics. If somebody's eye had to be taken out, it had to be gouged out. Uh, if somebody's limb, arm needed to be removed, it was sawn off without anesthetic. It was a painful thing to remove an eye or a limb. Now, what is Jesus saying here? Is he saying if you can't control what you look at, you need to gouge out your eyes? I don't think Jesus was speaking literally. He was speaking truthfully, though. Remember, if you took out one eye, you'd still have another eye left to lust with. And even if you gouged out both eyes, you'd still have memories to bring up out of the sewer of your mind and think about. No, that doesn't prevent lusting. But what Jesus is talking about is dealing radically with sin in your life, even to the point of it being painful. Dealing not just with the manifestation of evil, but reaching down and pulling out sin by the root. And some that, sometimes that can be inconvenient. Sometimes it can be downright painful. Are there certain television programs, certain magazines or internet sites that incite lust in your heart? Get rid of it. Get it out of your life. Yeah, it's painful to do that. But so is the pain of adultery and divorce. What about your job? Is there a temptation there? 
to engage into evil? Is there somebody there who is enticing you? It would be better to change jobs or change careers than experience the heartbreak of immorality. Is there a relationship you have right now that may or may not have turned into a sexual relationship, but it's on the way of doing that? Get rid of that relationship. I remember my former church, there was a man who talked to me. He said, I'm not sure exactly what to do, Pastor. Uh, There's a woman at work, and she's going through a painful divorce, and I've started counseling with her during lunchtime, trying to help her. But those lunchtime counseling sessions then had turned into text messages throughout the day. And then after hours, meetings, late nights, meeting for coffee. It hasn't devolved into sex yet, but I know where it's headed. What do you think I should do? Said, get rid of it. Say goodbye to her. Oh, he said, he said, I can't do that. That would hurt her too much. It would hurt me too much. I quoted Proverbs 6.27, can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? I said, you are playing with fire right now and you are going to get burned. That's what Jesus is talking about here when he says, deal decisively with immorality or any hint of immorality in your life. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. How do we do that? How do we flee sexual immorality? Let me give you two remedies for sexual purity. Number one, control your looking. Write it down. Control your looking. Job 31 verse 1 says, I have made a covenant with my eyes How then could I gaze at a virgin? Job said, I made a contract with my eyes. Not to look, but not to look a second time, a third time, a fourth time. You've got to have that kind of agreement with your eyes that if you see somebody attractive, you may not be able to prevent looking that first time, but you don't have to look back again, and you certainly don't have to gaze. Martin Luther said one time, we can't prevent the birds from flying over our heads but we can keep them from building a nest in our hair. That's what Job is talking about here. Secondly, transform your thinking. Transform your thinking. Paul said in Romans 12 verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you remember in our series, Invincible, we said, it's not enough to just tell people, don't, ta- don't think about lustful things. That's like telling somebody, don't think about a pink elephant. If I tell you right now, whatever you do, do not think about a pink elephant. What are you going to be thinking about? I mean, you have to replace wrong thoughts with right thoughts. And that's what is being talked about here. Transform your thinking. This last week, uh, we were at Disney World for a little longer than we expected to be there. Thank you for those of you who prayed us out of purgatory. But um, (laughs) during the first part of the week, we took the triplets on the Peter Pan ride. As we were riding on the Peter Pan ride, I 
thought about that scene in the movie when Peter invites the children to fly to Neverland. They said, we don't know how to fly. We don't have wings. And he said, think the happiest thoughts you can think. And that's as good as having wings. There's power in our thinking. I'm not sure you're going to grow wings if you think correctly, but you're going to stay clear of sexual immorality. Transform your thinking. Replace wrong thoughts with right thoughts, and there are no more right thoughts than the thoughts found in this book. Let me give you a few verses to memorize right now. Psalm 119, verse 11. The psalmist said, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Or here's one I read often, Proverbs 6.32. The one who commits adultery is lacking in sense. He who would destroy his life does it. Or another good one, Galatians 6, verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, this he shall also reap. If I were going to summarize these two ideas for sexual purity, I would summarize it this way. Number one, don't linger in your looking. Number two, don't conform, but transform your thinking. Now, can I shut my Bible and be honest with you? It's just us chickens here, right? Nobody's watching. <laughs> the fact is, we have all fallen short in this standard. Every one of us. Now, some of you aren't convinced of that. You're like the Pharisees. You think, well, as long as I haven't committed adultery in the bed, I'm okay, right? That's what the Pharisees thought. Jesus said, no. If you're not guilty of adultery in the bed, you're guilty of adultery in the head. We've all had thoughts we shouldn't have. That's just part of being a fallen human being. The good news is this. No matter how often or how far we have fallen, Christ offers forgiveness to those who ask. First John 1.9 says, if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Not just the little sins, but the big, humongous blunders in our life. God's grace is sufficient to cover. Christ offers forgiveness to everyone who asks, but he adds a command, just as he gave the woman caught in adultery, to go and sin no more. Aren't you glad that we serve a forgiving God? He's willing to wipe the slate clean, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we confess our blunders and our sins to Him. Well, as we wrap up another study in this teaching series, I'm hoping you'll see this as the perfect occasion to get in touch with us at Pathway to Victory. As I mentioned earlier, I've written a best-selling book that coincides with our study. The title I chose for my book is 18 Minutes with Jesus. The subtitle is Straight Talk from the Savior about the things that matter most. There's a complete chapter on the topic we address today, along with nine others that Jesus spoke about. And this book is perfectly suited for the young adult in your family. Many have chosen my book as a discussion tool for their small group Bible study. I'm pleased to send you a copy right away when you include a generous gift to support the ministry 
a pathway to victory. Again, my book is called 18 Minutes with Jesus. It'll arrive at your home along with the exclusive study guide as well. I'm pleased to report that Pathway to Victory has grown its audience many times over in recent years. This encouraging trend has certainly stretched our faith and our resources. Many are surprised to learn, for example, that most of our television and radio stations require that we pay them for the airtime. That's how most ministries work. All to say that your generous, faithful giving is vitally important and deeply appreciated. We couldn't accomplish our mission without your partnership. Thanks so much for getting in touch with us today. Don't forget you can watch Pathway to Victory on television. On Saturdays, you can see us at noon Eastern on TBN. And on Sunday, we are on hundreds of stations, including TBN at 10 a.m. Eastern and Daystar at 6 p.m. Eastern. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. You're invited to request the best-selling book, 18 Minutes with Jesus, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Plus, we'll also send you a study guide to use for group or individual study. Call us at 866-999-2965 or visit our website, ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $75 or more, you'll receive not only the book and the study guide, but also the complete collection of audio and video discs for the 18 Minutes with Jesus teaching series. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or on your computer, online, ptv.org. You can write to us if you'd like. Here's that mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Join us again Thursday for a practical message on how to love your enemies. That's right here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.